Father, I thank you for John. Thank you for his uh, preparation. Thank you for his uh, service and sacrifice to us uh, this morning. And Jesus, we pray that you would um, speak through John to us this morning, that it would be your words that we hear, your words that impact our lives, challenge us, change us, encourage us, and strengthen us as a body of believers. And I pray for John in particular. This week has been a, a, a difficult week, um, and I pray that you would honor his sacrifice of coming up here this morning by, by leading him as he leads us with his teaching. Your blessing on him now, Father, please. Amen. Thank you. It's good to see you all. Rachel wanted me to say thank you. Uh, she's safely back from Cannock in the middle of that blizzard on Thursday. And uh, if she can survive my culinary skills and my nursing skills, you will see her again shortly. Pastors. I want to say that every single one of you need to listen to what I'm going to say this morning. For the very simple reason that I'm not exclusively talking about one person. I've been a pastor for many, many decades now. I've had the privilege of training pastors. I now have a ministry where, and it is a privilege, traveling all around the world ministering to pastors. But every single one of you in some way is a pastor, as you will see. So these words this morning are for you as much as for me. Were you to be a stranger, you may wonder why we've suddenly chosen that subject. And it fits in with a developing theme. We've been thinking about missional community, missional characteristics, and you've got that bells clearly, haven't you now? Come on, tell me. Blessing, eating, not eating each other, just eating, eating, listening, learning, and being sent. Matthew 28 tells us that we're sent to the four corners of the world. That's my unique calling. Yours probably is primarily in Bridgenorth, but we are sent. John and uh, Graham have reminded us very helpfully from Ephesians 4 about the nature of the church, God's gifting. I read them to you and assume that you remember very clearly all that it was, has been said. It was him who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach uniformity in the faith. Don't think it says that, does it? It says till we all reach unity in the faith. I have a darling daughter who is still trying to persuade me that the church is going to be taken and raptured before the tribulation. She may be right, I don't know. But unity is the spiritual oneness. It is not the oneness of all thinking identically. Graham said to us, and it was very helpful, and it triggered all sorts of memories for me. And John said exactly the same thing, that when these different roles, ministries, operate together in the church, the church is moving and productive and fulfilling God's purposes. 
We need a balance of apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic teaching and pastoring. I was 65 nearly 10 years ago and I was on holiday in the Canadian Rockies with my wife. Someone had very kindly made that possible for us. And I had two days of total quiet and that's a lovely place to be quiet. Fasting and praying and waiting for God to tell me what it was he wanted me to do, what he wanted me to do in retirement. And I had one of the few visions I've ever had in my life, crystal clear. And I was so grateful it's determined all that I have done in the last 10 years and for as many more years as God grants me. But what was wonderful, and I draw your attention to this because of what Graham and John said, is when those gifts operate together, there is a beautiful sense of security. Within a day of having had that vision that still motivates me and still makes my back tingle as I think about it, I had a long email from one of my deacons in the church I was pastoring or coming to the end of pastoring. She is a prophetess. She's actually now working in uh, Anglican ministry. And she wrote, and I looked at it in my journal this week, she told me exactly, word for word, what God had said to me in visionary form. And that's when these things operate together so beautifully. So although I'm specifically talking about pastoral ministry, and all of us, I stress, you've heard me say it, all of us are involved in that in some way or other. Some of us are pastoring families. Some of us are pastoring Sunday school classes. Aren't you grateful for Sunday school teachers? And all of us will be involved in relationships, and most relationships, if we're Christians and walking under the control of the Spirit, have a strong element of pastoral reality about them. I want to speak about cultural confusion. I want to speak about biblical basics. And then, and this is Rachel's heading, I want to speak about an eternal example. Cultural confusion, biblical basics, and an eternal example. For many years, when I was down in Bath, in my first pastorate, I was a consultant with Bible Society, and we used to go to all sorts of places where things had fallen apart very hideously. And uh, because the powers that be weren't even, because they were part of the situation, weren't able to resolve things, and we went in as uh, troubleshooters, I suppose, for lack of a better word. And I was asked to visit a very big Anglican church up in the Northeast which had had a massive, massive split, and it was potentially about to be a very destructive thing. And I had to go in and listen, and somehow then offer wisdom and advice, and I was well prayed for then. The argument was actually about the color of the toilet paper. Well, actually it was, but really behind that was the fact of who makes the decisions in this church. (laughs) When I was up there, one of, the, one of the leaders talking about the role of the pastor 
said this, and this is under my theme of cultural confusion. Well, young man, he said, you need to know that he who pays the piper calls the tune. That was actually said to me about a minister. They wanted to control him. Mercifully, we did resolve that one. The church I last pastored had, they felt, crucified two pastors before me, and perhaps there's a strong element of truth in that. And I went in, and within a few weeks, had a church meeting. And I said to them, uh, this is a big church, not far from here, 250 members. I said, I want you to tell me what you think my role is as pastor. And I was on my own. So they did. And then I told them what I thought my role was. And I said this as their pastor. I was already their pastor. And I think this is very important. And we should always model this. I said, please know this. I am your servant, but you are not my master. Have you got me? I am your servant, but you are not my master. And we are blessed with leaders in this church. They're not perfect. They're very near perfect. They really are. Believe me, I just wish you knew how blessed we are in the leadership that we have in this church and the ministry we have. When you travel as widely as I do around the world, you hear some unmitigated nonsense. We are blessed in that way. Scripture warns us, and uh, if you have time, you can go back and look at this in Ezekiel 34 and in Jeremiah 23, that there are such things as false pastors false shepherds and probably that's one of the biggest issues I ever deal with when I'm traveling in India or in Africa because people have bought into the prosperity doctrine with all the ideas that the pastor has to be the hugely successful one and the one with the big BMW and with the one with an astronomical salary and I don't know if I heard an amen at the back Graham for that one but I'm sure I didn't because we know That's just total rubbish. But there are false shepherds around. You don't have them. You've probably never seen them. Thank God you never have. When you have to confront them, it is very difficult. There are all sorts of false cultural perceptions around. I did a leadership course in my postgraduate study on leadership. And we did an awful lot of time looking at the relationship between leadership and management. Not that management doesn't have its place, it most certainly does. But we're looking for leadership. So I move on to what I want to say, which is more the heart of where we are. And I didn't see what time I started, James, which is just as well. I want to talk about biblical basics. Biblical basics. Let me say, please, and this is meant to be a disclaimer, I am deeply aware that I am being wildly selective in what I say. There is so much that you could say on this subject, and 
four or five sermons wouldn't be too much, but I've had to be selective. And so I point out to you that when we look at biblical basics, probably the primary model that Scripture offers us is the one that you saw read by Mandy. It is as a shepherd. The Greek word is poimen. And it is an image. It is an analogy. It is not perfect because you are not sheep. And I am not a sheep, but you are very like sheep, sometimes more so, and so am I. And we'll still see where that one goes. And I, as I've waited before God over several months and talked to pastors around the world, I usually speak to 10 or 15, 20 pastors a week from around the world, either on Skype or by email, and I've been asking them what they think about this subject, and it's been fascinating, and has reinforced where I felt the Spirit wanted us to go. The first thing I want to say as a biblical basic, a basic or basis is that a shepherd guides the sheep. In the Middle East, uh, and some of you have been there, I know, you may or may not know that the shepherd always goes in front of the flock, right? So when we're talking about leadership, when we're talking about pastor, and whatever the relationship is, I'm not just speaking about one person, I'm speaking about the principle. You're looking about someone who rightly knows the direction, God-given direction, and leads from in front. I saw on the back of a car once what seemed like very sincere and perhaps devoted words by a Christian, which said, don't follow me, follow Jesus. Don't even think that's half the truth. Because if you are a believer, what you should say, this is not just a pastor, but every single one of us, Follow me as I follow Jesus. Now, there'll be a lot of need for confession for all of us because we're very, very inadequate at that. But that is the spiritual principle that when we guide sheep, whether it's a Sunday school class, and I remember my Sunday school teachers, even today, follow me as I follow Jesus. I asked all the pastors I've been in touch with around the world what they thought the characteristics of a person who could lead a flock and be in front of the flock were, and I had words like integrity, honesty, openness, kindness, vulnerability. This week, Billy Graham was laid to rest. Did any of you with me see the stream from Charlotte? John, one or two at the back. It was one of the most moving experiences I've had, apart from shaking hands with Billy Graham once when 
goodness me, I don't know how many years ago it was, I never knew the man. But his children spoke, and they've all had quite complicated stories, as often happens with pastor's kids. And the middle daughter, whose name eluded me because I was so, I was in tears, <coughs> told a story. She was married, and her marriage, tragically, her first marriage, broke up. Painful in vol- I mean, the pain of that is, I've never been divorced, but I've ministered to so many hundreds of people that have been. I know it is astronomically difficult. And she did something, and she told this to the world. There were kids, she had her kids who were almost all grown up, and she said that she then met in church somebody who seemed absolutely perfect, and very quickly and impulsively against every single piece of advice, including her own father's advice, she went and had married this guy. Within two days, she knew she'd made the most hideous mistake. It was already an abusive and violent reaction and she ran away and she had to go back to see Billy Graham which must have been intensely embarrassing to go back to your dad when he'd advised you not to do something and you'd done it willfully and foolishly. She was apprehensive beyond words. She got to just outside Charlotte where Billy Graham lived and got out of the car. And there was a dad with open arms. Yeah? And God is like that. That doesn't mean he winks at sin. It doesn't mean that he isn't a God of holiness and justice. But God is like that. Luke 15 tells us. And in all of our leadership, if we're going to guide people, we need to model that openness to them, but also that openness to reflect God's character. Secondly, A shepherd will lead the flock to good food. Now, you can't press the analogy too far because we're talking about spiritual feeding and, of course, I'm talking about physical feeding. You can't force a sheep to eat. Mind you, I've never seen a sheep doing anything other than grazing and nibbling, but that's another story. (laughs) They seem to do that fairly, uh, if not 24 hours a day, pretty well. Can I tell you again, and please, this is not not meant to be sycophantic. I think, I wish, and I hope many of you understand how privileged you are at the food you get presented with. And I'm not talking about pasta. I'm talking about spiritual food. When you have to listen and see some of the things that people get presented to on Sunday as ministry, It just makes you appreciate how much we have here and we are grateful. Someone who was a shepherd told me this and I'm open to correction because there are people with strong farming backgrounds here that sheep have to drink. It's more important to drink than to eat. You all know that. But sheep have to drink from still water. 
I'm told because of the anatomical structure of their nose and their mouth, that if it's bubbly water, if you try and put your head down to, to drink, you can't drink it when it's bubbly water. So a shepherd takes the sheep to the right place where there is still. Arlene's word. Interesting, Arlene, that was the very, very first word God ever spoke to me as a 15-year-old after I'd come to faith. In Fleetwood, of all places. So we need someone, and you need to be willing to guide sheep. You need to lead them and listen. My wife's comfort food is custard. That's a secret between you and I. Don't you ever tell her I've said that. Or she'll hear it on website, won't she? The idea after she'd had surgery that she'd like a really nice big steak and chips and pea. No, she just wanted some custard. Appropriate food. And this, the food that you feed children with is not the food you feed adults with. And it varies even with us as adults, doesn't it? There are times we all need a little pampering. So in pastoring, someone who guides the sheep, someone who leads them to food. Thirdly, someone who knows the sheep. Right? You heard the scriptures? I love Country File. I think it's fascinating. And I have learned so much. I'm a scientist originally, but I have learned so much about farming through that program. And they present it well. But they know the sheep, they know them. They know them almost individually. In fact, some of them claim they do know the sheep individually. And if you're gonna pastor someone, you need to know them, to know them. Because they need to know your voice. And I need to ask you the question I've certainly asked before here. Do you know Jesus' voice? Holy Spirit, it will probably be a very still voice as Arlene was reminding us this morning. I have known God shout at me, but the vast majority of times, because he's gracious, he just whispers. Knowing the sheep. That involves actually praying for them, doesn't it? I hope you pray for your church members. We used to have a system where the whole congregation is divided up in a week on a monthly basis and we prayed for it. And Rachel and I still do that. That's not meant to sound unduly pious. It's part of conviction for us. But I hope you do pray for each other. Or at least particularly the group that you're responsible for. That Bible study group, that home group those particular friends. And of course, we're obviously closer to some people in a fellowship this size than others. That's perfectly understandable. That's just human stuff. But that we know. We only have one opportunity to make a first impression. It's a little silly cliche that people quote. But I remember the first time I came to this church, and if Mike Shaw's here, when I think he must be somewhere, I'm going to embarrass him slightly. 
doesn't need to be embarrassed because I was looking for a home. I couldn't go across towards Birmingham. Most of the ministers I'd mentored and they didn't want me sitting in their congregation. I'd heard good things about Bridge North and I came to one of your contacts when you had an Indian evangelist who spoke for an hour and three quarters. Some of it was culturally off the back of his head. Some of it was really solid. But the two things that made me feel utterly at home was a conversation I'd had with Steve at the end, but was sitting next to Mike Shaw. So it involves interrelationship, right? Interrelationship with each other. We're part of a family. You're going to see me for a long time. Yeah, and I'm going to see you for a long time because we're going to be in heaven together. And that heaven isn't up there. It'll be back here on new heavens and new earth, but I mustn't get off my subject. Fourthly, you need to find the lost sheep. Do you remember Jesus telling that story? He had a hundred sheep and one of them had gone astray. I think I might have thought 99% success was probably pretty good. That's not God's heart. God's heart is for lost sheep. And we're not talking about how the sheep got lost. Sometimes they get lost because they're willful, like that story I told you. Sometimes they get lost for all sorts of perhaps perfectly more humanly understood reasons. I've been into so many prisons to find lost sheep. I think 23 was the count I made as I ran back through ministry. And I wish I could tell you that each of the lost sheep I'd gone to find in prison came back to the shepherd, and they didn't. Some of them did. Because you can't force sheep to come back. Can you? That's where the analogy breaks down. Because we're not just sheep, we're human beings and we're willful. And some of us are hideously willful. I've been into more brothels than you would like to think about. Seriously. To find lost sheep. I've been into nightclubs where people were drunk, high on drugs, supposedly sheep of the shepherd that I served. Pubs. But you know, there's probably some lost sheep even here this morning in the church. Our Catholic theologians talk about evangelizing the baptized. If you come into a church, it doesn't make you a Christian. You know this. This is all basic stuff. I'm looking around and not wanting to patronize anyone. First church I went to down in Bath, it was about 80, 90 members strong. It had had a complicated history, and they were brave enough to come someone, call someone who wasn't even an accredited Baptist minister at the time. And I preached, and uh, they seemed to like me, and God bless that ministry there. But within four, five months, I'd been talking about the gospel. And one lady who sat right at the back where you sit, Mary, right at the back, who was a matron of 
one of the big hospitals. And she came up to me and said, young man, I want you to come and see me three o'clock on Wednesday. I can be compliant. So three o'clock on Wednesday, I went. She said, now if I have been listening to you correctly, I need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I said, that's right, Marjorie. She said, I have been 40 years in this church and I have never heard that. Now, mind you, the gospel had been preached in the church, but I take it that she'd never heard it, and I can accept that. I had the joy of leading her to Jesus. She was dead within three years, but it turned the church upside down because one lost sheep was found. My brother made a desperate mess of his life. Rang me from Canada in the middle of the night several decades ago to tell me he'd come to Jesus. And I had been into prisons to see him. Not that he'd done anything criminal. He just didn't want to be under the obedience to the officers of the Royal Navy and he was discharged. And he was in Chapter Mallet. And I went to see him and at our recent 50th uh, celebration, he commented on the fact, and I had never seen it through his eyes before. And I, I know there were many others who were doing this. He was simply saying thank you to God for the fact that someone had prayed. And can I simply say that finding lost sheep is a lot to do with prayer. More things are done by prayer than you will ever dream of. I'd love to hear an amen to that. Yeah, more things are done by prayer than you would ever dream of. You may be a Marjorie here for all I know. You don't know Jesus yet. You can do. Finally, Rachel's contribution to the sermon. An eternal example. An eternal example. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? Yeah? Jesus was the good shepherd. The good shepherd who gave his life sacrificially for the sheep. The good shepherd who was bruised and battered when he'd gone through all the thickets and brambles to find the stupid sheep that have wandered off. But Jesus is our eternal example. He's the ideal. He's our motivator. He's our motivator. He dwells within us by his spirit. He is our mentor. I have a mentor still. Or spiritual director, I call him. He's a, he's a retired medical doctor. We were colleagues way back in Bath days and we've maintained the relationship and I used to go and to my leadership team and tell them that I'd seen my director and he always used to send saucy messages back to them and saying I was doing all right I just needed a little bit of colonic irrigation which was his idea of a joke but I was in a com I was in a committed answerable accountable relationship and we are that with Jesus and we need to do it with each other too we need human responsibility. We need accountability. Jesus is the one, and I finish, and I've taken 
a minute or two over time. Jesus is the one who deals with the issue of time management. You have exactly the same amount of time as I do. Right? How you use that time is what the Spirit is saying to you inside. I don't know how to finish other than to read the Word of God. <coughs> and so I do. From Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 13. May God who put all, I'm reading from the message by the way, may God who put all things together make all things whole, who made a lasting mark through the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice of blood, the seal of the eternal covenant, who led Jesus, our great pastor or shepherd, up and alive from the dead, now put you together provide you with everything you need to please him, make us into what gives him most pleasure by means of the sacrifice of Jesus the Messiah. All glory to Jesus forever and always. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. James. James.